Well, as you saw from that opening clip, it is so easy for us to believe lies. Even a group of people observing a crime scene, two people inserting lies can convince everybody to believe wholeheartedly that something that wasn't true really is true. And there's something in the human heart that so wants to protect itself from feedback, critical feedback, that we often will say to ourselves unconsciously, just tell me lies about how good I am rather than hearing the truth of how I really am. So in our series Thought Bubbles, we encouraged each one of us last week to take our brains home and to use it as a trigger to specifically track strongholds, deep embedded patterns that you may have in your life or in your uh, in your family that there might be thoughts that have been driving that stronghold. So I did my homework. I don't know if you did, but I did. And my goal to get free here in the in the fall, and I made the mistake. I, I made the the decision, I guess, to ask my family, what do you think my strongholds are? They didn't even pause to think about it. I thought about singing this song. Tell me lies, Chad. I can't think of anything. Dad, you're one. Oh, my goodness. Stronghold. So my, my wife and son immediately, yes, we know what yours is. How can it be so obvious to them? Dad, honey, you can be so impatient. And the, the speed at which you go makes everyone feel like they can just never keep up with you. You just, impatience is definitely yours. And so what did I do? As they were talking, felt my pulse go up. <laughs> felt emotion beginning to grow. And I began to think of every example of when they've been impatient with me for the last ten years. These hypocrites. How dare they think that one of my... I'm being patient just putting up with this feedback right now is what I'm being. I thought, well, I did ask. And if the people around me are observing this, then I probably should take it seriously. But it was amazing to the, the defensive mechanisms that came up, even when I was asking for feedback, as to, wow... And what is the thought that drives that stronghold? What is the thought? So we talked about a process of first reflecting on your thoughts. You can't capture and change thoughts that you don't know what they are. So step one is we reflect on our thoughts. Step number two is we learn to capture those thoughts. Capture the thought that's driving the behavior. And today we're going to look at the third step of that process. And so as I was thinking about that conversation, that conversation uh, with my family, uh, I happen to be speaking in St. Louis this week, and so as my wife and I are flying back from St. Louis, I uh, came to the airport, we're getting home, somebody's watching our special needs son for the first time, so we really made the trip quick so that it wouldn't be you know, too much for a first time overnight with my son. And so we come to the airport, and you know we're sort of in a rush to get home for all kinds of good reasons. And I look up at the Delta board, you know, on time, on time, on time, on time, on time, ah, way to go. Delayed two hours, on time, on time, on time. It's only two hours. Cincinnati. <laughs> and I'm like, this is it. This is that thing I do. And I'm sitting there just stewing, thinking, I cannot believe it. Running all the... And I'm like, take that thought captive. Nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can change about it. Why have this ruined the next two hours? And it's two hours you could either, you know, stew about it and complain about it or actually, you know, have two extra hours with your wife. 
And it really was amazing how seeing that thought, capturing that thought, I was able to sort of put my hands around it and find myself not sort of taking the typical path that I take. Capture. Well, today we're going to look at the next step of the process because the way to face your thoughts is to replace your thoughts. It's a really amazing thing that the Bible describes. I think as I begin to describe it, you'll say, oh, that is so true. The way to face your thoughts behaviors, patterns in your life, is actually to replace your thoughts. See, God designed our brain to fixate or focus on one thing. It can focus on something, but it can't not focus on something unless it has something else to replace it. I'll give you an example. I want everyone here to not think about Saddam Hussein. Don't think about his beard. And specifically, I don't want you to think about him wearing Princess Leia earmuffs to make his hair perish. Don't think about Saddam Hussein wearing Princess Leia earmuff wigs. You think, I wasn't, I would have never thought of that, Chad. Now I told you not to think about it, didn't I? Come on, don't think about that. See, often we try and change our behavior by saying, don't do that. Don't think about that. And immediately our brain fixates on the very thing we've told ourselves not to do. And that's why the way to face your thoughts is actually to replace your thoughts. Give your heart, give your mind something else to focus on that replaces that. And the same way the Saddam Hussein example gets your mind focused on something wrong, that is also true in personal things as well. When you say, don't be so hard on yourself all day long, you're being hard on yourself because you're focused on don't be hard on yourself, be hard on yourself. Don't be so defensive all day long thinking about defensiveness. Don't be so negative. You're focused on negativity. Don't complain. Don't be so insensitive. Don't lust all day long. Don't lust, don't lust, don't lust, don't lust after her. Don't lust after that. Don't lust after that car. Don't lust after... What are you doing? All day long, you're actually focused on lust. Don't be so driven. Don't be so driven. Don't be so driven. You've actually got your mind fixated on drivenness, fixated on lust. Don't yell. Don't be so controlling. So the way to face these behaviors and these thoughts, which we all do need to face, is actually to replace them. Give your mind something else to focus on that's not the thing you're trying to avoid. So we're going to three steps again today on this idea of replacing thoughts. And I want to tell you, this is a process that is so practical. It works. The Bible um, endorses it. Science has confirmed it. How do we really replace our thoughts? Step number one is that we use put-off thoughts to trigger put-on thoughts. Now, there's no lack in our lives of put-off comments. Oh, that was very off-putting. Oh, this behavior I saw in myself was very off-putting. Boy, that feeling of worry or anxiety, it's just so off-putting, it's taken a hold of my life. But the Bible says when you come across an off-putting comment or an off-putting thought, that should be a trigger to replace it with a put-on thought. Look how the Bible describes it. The Bible says, you need to put off the old man with his deeds. I'll tell you why he says old man in just a second. But in order to put off those behaviors, those thoughts, those patterns you want, and those deeds, that's a very off-putting deed or, or behavior I have, look at what he says. If you want to get success in that area of getting rid of some old patterns, some old deeds, you need to put on something else. The way you face those behaviors is to replace the thoughts that drive those behaviors. What do you put on? Put on the new man who is, and here's our phrase, renewed in knowledge. That new thoughts, new knowledge, new concepts actually drive new behaviors, new feelings. So if you want to 
use your put-off thoughts, you go, oh my goodness, I've got to find a new thought to focus on here to drive different feelings and behaviors. Now, this person is renewed in knowledge according to the image of he who created him. Now, you might say, I just don't know if I believe in the Bible. I'm not sure I believe in Jesus. I'm not sure I believe in this whole thing, but I'm at least checking it out. What is this whole old man, new man thing? Well, it goes back to the main message of the Bible. Remember, the gospel means good news. And here's why the main message of the Bible is such good news. If you believe it or not, that's fine. But just know that don't reject it because it's bad news. Here's what the Bible says. When you come to God and say, God, I believe that I do not live up to my own standards, let alone yours. Jesus had come to earth to forgive you your past, your present and your future wrongdoing. And so in that moment, you acknowledge you need him to forgive you. And this might seem a little weird, but uh, the good news is coming. It says that God literally comes and lives in you, gives you a brand new spirit. And he sees you at that moment right now, not when you die, as if you were as pure and as righteous as Jesus. He gives you a new identity. And the process of growing is putting on that new identity. I am forgiven. I am loved. I am cared for. I matter. I am a child of the Most High God who owns the whole world and universe. And that new identity is the new man you put on and say, what would somebody who's fully forgiven do here? What would somebody who's got the maker of the universe holding his back do here? Would somebody who knows that the maker of, my, of the atoms in the universe thinks I'm important really be that bothered by what was said, by that gossipy comment? See, when you put on this new identity, it begins to transform all behaviors in your life. Stories told of a, bum, a king. A king one day went into the streets and, and he saw this, uh, this peasant. He was a bum sitting in, in, the, in the alley. And he came to the bum and he, and he was dressed as horribly and smelled horribly. He says, come with me. The bum wasn't sure what to do, but he's like, hey, the king asks, I'll go. So he comes home with the king and as they make their way back, he brings him to this incredible room. Huge wardrobe, uh, showers. He says, this is now your room. You are no longer a bum. You are no longer a peasant. I'm adopting you into my family. You are now a prince of the kingdom. So take off your clothes, get washed up, come feast with us tonight. So the bum takes off his dirty, smelly clothes he's been wearing his whole life. He goes and takes a shower and he's just cleansed in a way he's never felt cleansed before. And he's just been told he's a, a child of the king. He doesn't feel like a child of the king. He feels like a bum who took a bath. So he gets out of the shower and he's got this wardrobe just filled with new shoes and new clothes and, and new things he could wear. Royal clothes. But he's got the old clothes that he's used to. And so though he just took a shower, he goes and puts on his same old smelly pants and his same old smelly shirt and his same old crummy shoes. And he comes to dinner and the king said, why are you wearing that? He said, well, I just, I'm not good enough for those clothes. I, I just they didn't feel like mine. They didn't feel very natural. I put on what I'm used to. And the king said, yeah, but those are bum's clothes. You're royalty now. Live, eat, experience the benefits of your new identity. And in one sense, every time we decide to be defensive, it's because we need to defend ourselves. But when we realize we're a child of the king, yeah, you know, no matter what my wife or my, my colleague or my partner or my friend tells me, when I put on a new identity, I go, 
That's probably true. Jesus had to forgive me of an awful lot. So instead of being defensive in a conversation, I go, thank goodness I've already been forgiven for whatever you're about to tell me, but I'm open. I want to hear it. The new reality of your identity makes you less defensive. More teachable. More open. Less critical. Oh, my goodness, if God was critical of me, I'd really be in trouble. I'm going to be less critical towards you. This new identity is the put-on thought that begins to create new feelings and new thoughts and new behaviors. But like our bum, he's thinking, oh my goodness, there's no way I could be a prince, right? The idea that you or I, despite what we know about ourselves, could be seen as a child of God, a full heir to his kingdom, it's hard to get the mind focused on that. But you can begin to train your brain to this new thought and watch how your brain very quickly catches on to the truth of it. I'll give you a quick example. We're going to train your brain real quick to take replacements and quickly begin to incorporate into your thinking. Now, initially, you're like, hey, a four is not an A, a seven is not a T. But your brain pretty quickly began to incorporate and begin to read quicker and quicker and make those decisions. In the same way, growing as a Christian or becoming a Christian is finding this reality and then beginning to go, what do, does a person who's a son of the Most High God feel like here, think about here, behave here? How do I put on these new clothes and these new behaviors consistent with my new identity given to me freely by the king? And I use my put-off triggers to put on new thoughts. The second thing we do sort of builds on that is that we chase our bad behaviors. I have a few. I don't know if you do. I chase my bad behaviors with replacement thoughts. And here's what Paul says in Colossians. You need to learn how to set your mind on something. Right now your mind is set on a thought whether you know it or not. You haven't reflected on it. You haven't caught it. You need to set your mind on heavenly things, God's thoughts on this issue, not on earthly thoughts. And then he lays this out. He says, if you find bad behaviors in your life, You've got to chase those down. And he gives a whole list of bad behaviors in the next part of the Bible. He says, so, when you find bad behaviors, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, lying, cheating, you know, covetousness, filthy language, lying. Whenever you see those bad behaviors, you can say, oh, I need to try harder not to be such a liar. I need to try harder not to, to, to envy. I need to try harder not to be overwhelmed by my anger. Paul says, no, no, when you see the bad behaviors... You need to put on replacement thoughts. The very next part of the passage, he says, Therefore, when you see those bad behaviors, remind yourself you're the elect of God, holy and beloved, and put on some stuff. Put on tender mercies and meekness and humility and, and long-suffering and bearing with one another and forgiveness of God and thankfulness. So you chase your bad behaviors by putting on replacement thoughts. You face your thoughts by replacing your thoughts. So let me play this out real practically. So let's say a couple thoughts you might have as we've been tracking these over the last couple of weeks. So you found that one of the thoughts that comes out of your mind and drives your behavior is, listen, they deserve that. They deserve what I said, they deserve what I did. They deserve that. Or another version of it is, I've got a right to be angry here. I've got a, a right to speak that way when I'm disrespected by my son, by my wife, by my colleague. I've got a right to, and I shouldn't have to put up with, sitting at the St. Louis airport for two hours. I should not have to put up with this. My time is too valuable. Somehow I'm in a special category. So when you see those behaviors come out of you, you're supposed to put on different thoughts. 
put on tender mercies. So don't not be angry. Instead, focus on how could I put on tender mercies? How could I be tender and merciful here? And here's why the message of the Bible helps. The truth of the Bible helps. I begin to say the message of the Bible is that God came into history as a human being to be tender toward people who had betrayed him and ignored him and stabbed him in the back. And when you begin to understand or start even just start to believe that God may have done that for you. You see, if God was so tender toward me when I was so obstinate and so arrogant. then maybe I should go and do the same to Delta Airlines. Maybe I should go and do the same to my wife. Maybe I can be tender and merciful because somebody's already done it to me. And that's why it's not just a thought. It's a reality. When you know somebody's been tender and merciful to you, and what's mercy? Not giving somebody what they deserve. Say, God didn't give me what I deserved. Maybe I don't have to give them everything they deserve either. But I've got a right to do it. Well, put on kindness here. Put on humility that maybe your time, though it's valuable, maybe other people's time is valuable too. And maybe there's some humility of going, maybe something happened here that you don't know everything about that's driving this. And you put on the new clothes of humility consistent with your new identity. You put on meekness and you put on long-suffering. This is one I've been using to replace because instead of saying, don't be impatient, I'll say, how can I suffer long here? I don't want to suffer long here. That's actually what the word patient means. It means to suffer long. And how do you do that? Well, you go, God suffered long with you. How, many, how much has God put up in your life in 30 years, 40 years, 50 years? You're like, oh my goodness, they put up with so much. People knew the thoughts I had. Or people knew the things I've done. If God has suffered so long with you, then you begin to apply that and say, I want to put that on and I want to suffer long with the prodigal son. I want to suffer long with a system. It doesn't mean that you don't fix stuff, but you bring this attitude toward it. Here's another couple of thoughts. Well, listen, I've done enough. I can't change. I can't fix this. I've adapted enough, etc. I've been hurt too badly to do to, to do anything more in my marriage. They don't deserve forgiveness. Chase those bad behaviors with new thoughts. Well, you say to yourself, I'm going to put on how can I bear with this person? My previous thought was I don't want to bear with anybody. The Bible said, no, put on this thought, bear with one another. doesn't say it's going to be easy. No, bear. This is a good thing. You're, you're learning to bear with one another. Forgive one another, even if you have a complaint against them. You're thinking, the thought I have is what they did to me. And I've told that story a hundred times. And you know you've told the story because everybody around you has heard the story. And every time you hear somebody new, you tell a story. You know what happened to me 20 years ago? Yes, we all know what happened to you 20 years ago. That thought has been driving your bitterness, driving your anger. And so the new thought is, yes, I have a complaint against somebody. Yes, it's a legitimate complaint. And God would have a legitimate complaint toward me. So I'm going to put on a new thought. Just as Christ forgave me, I'm going to forgive others. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus... I'm not necessarily saying that you have to be. I'm just saying, do you see how this would help? If somebody really has forgiven you an avalanche, a mountain of things you've done wrong, do you see how that would make it easier to forgive other people things that they've done wrong? When you're passing on what's been given to you, you've got the power to do it. That's how that thought works. Another one. Well, I've got a right to complain. I need more sense of discontentment. I can't believe I have to. What about... In those situations, you replace your thought with, I've got to put on love here. I need the peace of God to reign here. I need 
my heart to be thankful. Instead of saying I need to not be so discontent, what if instead we said, how can I be thankful in this situation? How can I be thankful here? I've never had anyone in marriage come up and say, you know what the problem in our marriage is? We appreciate each other too much. We're just too thankful. Imagine if every day you got up and said, I want to put on, how can I be thankful for my spouse today? How can I be thankful for my company today? How can I be thankful for my business today and thankful for my employees today? How would that play out, that replacement thought? When Huizinga, uh, his uh, father, developed Waste Management Company and went on to build a blockbuster company, and so his whole life he, he always saw his dad, respected his dad, loved his dad, and said the way you get success is through money, through pleasure. He'd invite his buddies out. They'd meet at the airport. wouldn't even know what they're doing on a Friday. And he'd fly he and his buddies all to Paris, spend three days you know, doing anything and everything, and come back. And, and after years doing this, he just realized that the thought he had, money would make you happy, pleasure would make you happy. He had some good times, but it wasn't ultimately fulfilling what he wanted and what he longed for. So, well, maybe this thought isn't driving it. So one day he invited his buddies to go out. And it was, a, again, another Friday weekend, and they flew, and he got a personal tour on a nuclear submarine. So he and his buddies crawled down the hatch, and, and as they're there, there's uh, the, the commander, the captain of the, uh, the sub, and he just had never seen a guy with such courage, never seen a guy with such authority, and yet he had authority mixed with tenderness and approachability. So as they spent a couple days on the nuclear submarine, Wayne turns to the captain and he said, I can ask you a question. You seem to have it all figured out. You seem to have purpose and meaning. You've got the command attention on nuclear submarine. You've got people, uh, men who respect you. This is what I've been looking for my whole life. How did you get it? And the captain said, well, it's because of my manual. Your manual? And in his hand, he was holding a Bible. He says, I don't know if you believe in this kind of thing or not, but the way in which I've been able to be a commanding officer, to command men who risk their lives at the same time, love them, care for them, is because I've got an example of the ultimate leader, Jesus. And I carry his manual around to set my thoughts on his thoughts. Wayne had never heard this before. And in fact, Jesus was sort of weakness, ridiculousness. Religion was do a bunch of stuff, try harder to be a good person. But here was somebody respected who gave him a brand new thought that perhaps the Bible and Jesus could help him find the model of manhood, the model of purpose he's longed for his whole life. And so he said he began his spiritual journey underwater in a submarine that day. So here's the process. We need to, number one, somewhere in our past, we may have picked up some thoughts. Pleasure brings ultimate purpose. Uh, more brings ultimate purpose. So we've got to find replacement thoughts and get some alternative to fixate on. Or we need to look back in our past and figure out how somebody swapped thoughts around the way and we didn't even realize it. Let me give you one more test and show you how easy it is to miss what's going on all around us. So again, can you believe it? And yet, how many times have you been at a restaurant and you went, who is our waiter? Was it her? So here's the point that one, we need to find these kind of thoughts that have been deposited in us in the past we didn't even realize, reflect on them. Two, capture them. And begin to train our brain to go, hey, that thought's working again. And I need to find a new thought, a replacement thought, but which I can put on and begin starting new patterns, literally reprogramming our brain toward these new feelings and our feelings. And that's why the Bible is so practical in how to do it. So we face our thoughts by replacing our thoughts and recognizing where false thoughts have been placed into us in our past. 
Which brings us to our third step. The way you turn away from something, some behavior, some feeling that you like to turn away from, is by turning toward someone. As you'll see in just a moment, the brain has been designed to fixate on or focus on the human face. I think God designed that for a lot of different ways. Babies to see mothers, lovers to look into each other's eyes. But deeper than that, God could have come as an equation. He could have come as a rule book. He could have come as a list of to-dos and to-don'ts. Instead, when he came to earth, he came in the face of a person. Because he knew the way in which you can find victory over the things you're struggling with is you need access to a power source and to fixate your eyes on someone who has what you need so you can turn away from those things you're trying to change. Here's what it says in Hebrews. Again, very, very practical passage. You want to know how to lay aside weights that are holding you down in life? Oh, I'm so worried. I'm so anxious. I'm just, I can't quite get where I need to go. Or, well, I'm, I've gotten where I need to go and it didn't fulfill all the dreams and hopes that I had. If you want to know how to lay aside weights, look away from those. The sins, the wrongdoing that just so quickly, easily entangle us. Oh my goodness, I promised I wouldn't do that again. Oh, it's like another bear trap. If you want to know how to look away from those snares, look away from those weights. If you want to know how when life gets tough, how to run with endurance the race set before you, don't not do something. Don't not think about something. Instead, do focus or fixate on someone. Looking unto Jesus, the author, he began the process, and the finisher, he'll give you what you need to finish the process of our faith. Who, and here's how Jesus did, if you don't believe in Jesus, let me tell you why this is phenomenal, if it's true. I happen to think it is true. Jesus endured the cross, but look how he did it. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. This, this is amazing. Jesus is having nails pounded into him. Imagine the pain. Imagine what your mind is fixated on. Roman crucifixion was all about shaming your enemies. So he's being shamed, he's being rejected, he's being spit upon. And while he's there, he could have set his mind on revenge. He could have set his mind on, I don't deserve this, and he actually would have been right. He could have set his mind on a thousand things. I can't believe Peter betrayed me. I can't believe Judas stabbed me in the back. But on the cross, Jesus set his mind on joy. Oh my gosh, how do you set your mind on joy when you're having nails pounded into your arms and feet? Which means Jesus is the ultimate example. Boy, I want what he's got. Because while he's on the cross... He set his mind on the joy set before him, and therefore he endured the cross. He replaced his thoughts of revenge, replaced his thoughts of injustice, replaced his thoughts of, of pain with the thought of, and this is so amazing, the joy of knowing you. I am doing this so that I can be in a friendship with people for the next 2,000 years. Yes, it's tough. Yes, it's difficult. But this is the path by which I can get to know you. By which I can love you. I am so joyful about the chance to be not in a religious check-the-boxes relationship, but in a friendship with you. I'm willing to focus on that. In the same way that maybe a woman going through labor, I certainly can't speak to that, but would focus on in the midst of the pain, we're going to have a baby. You fixate on someone, the child, rather than something, the pain that's endured. 
Here's how this gets so practical. And this is why I would just encourage you. If you've never read about Jesus, if you've never thought about Jesus, if you've never looked into Jesus, here's why fixating on someone who is Jesus, he has access to all the good stuff that helps you overcome the bad stuff. Imagine thought bubbles like you feel trapped. Man, I can't get free. There's no way out of the situation. I'm trapped and painted into a corner. Look at Jesus. The guy's on a stinking cross. This is game over. This is the end of the movement. There's no way out of this. The Romans got him, most powerful people in history at the time. And you go, oh my goodness. Jesus entrusts himself to God. And not only was the cross not his worst hour and his worst chapter and the end of the story, it was the beginning of the story of his message spreading all over the world. If God can do that with that, I want some of that in here when I feel trapped. You feel guilt? You've grown up with a big blanket of guilt because you've tried to constantly just do the right thing or avoid certain things? You say to yourself, I'll never forgive myself for what I did. Look at Jesus on that cross. Look at him being scourged and whipped. And ask yourself, you're whipping yourself. I'm such a bad person. I can't forgive myself. Oh my goodness, I've got to make up for that. Look at Jesus. Wasn't he whipped enough? They literally ripped the, the meat off his body and had to flip him over because there was no meat left. So that's gross. Look at it for a second because you're beating yourself up as if that wasn't adequate. When you look at him, you go, oh my goodness, that was adequate. I'm not adding anything else to his beatings by beating myself up. So I'm going to choose to believe that his beating was enough. And that new thought's going to rescue me from self-hatred, from guilt, and from shame. Shame, if anyone ever knew about this, Guess what? God does know about it. And he says, despite knowing about it, he thought about being in friendship with you while he was on the cross. You might say, this is a long process. This is a race with a big endurance. I don't know how I'm going to put up with this. Look to Jesus and say, oh my goodness. He was able to endure the long process of crucifixion so that he would know that God would raise him to the right hand. And God, if you'll do that with him, I want some of that in my life. You say, hey, there's no purpose. There's meaningless suffering in my life. There's no purpose here. Put on a new thought. What if God could work all things together for good? Even if I don't understand it and don't even like it, what if I could trust in this circumstance that God could bring about his purposes? See, the way you turn away from something is you focus on someone. And like I said, our brain is designed to recognize faces. And I think that's why God came as a human being. Yes, to substitute for us. Yes, lots of theological reasons, but also because, you know, by focusing on him, we could be transformed. Watch again the brain science behind how our brains are designed to focus on someone. Isn't that interesting? Your brain is wired to see human faces and to see what it expects to see. And so many of us are like, listen, I focused on rulemaking. I focused on religion. I stood up. I sat down. I did all kinds of religious activity, but I never really focused on seeing Jesus. Or we said, you know, I've heard about Jesus. I've seen the Christians. And you saw a distorted version of Jesus from some religious people. And you gave up on it. And I don't blame you. The worst advertising for Jesus is his followers, sadly. But I would say push past the distortions and say, I want to look at the original. I want to get back and see somebody who was able to accomplish what he did in history. So here's our takeaway today. I want to get real practical. I want you to try and face one thought and replace one thought. So I'm going to put lots of verses up here, but this isn't for you to write them down, except maybe write an address down for one you think is key. So I'm going to put different issues you may be facing, and specifically, replacement thought you might want to write down on that post-it note or write down on your brain to focus on for the next week. 
So maybe your issue is groupthink. You need other people's approval. You have a tendency not to speak up because you don't want to have any conflict. And so the lie in your brain that you need to face is things go better for you if you follow the crowd and you don't make a disturbance. Here's the truth. You can write this down. Proverbs 1320. You can look that up, Google that, and write that down on your brain or post-it note. Here's the truth. He who walks with wise men grows wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. can't tell how many people are going through a divorce. And in the middle of going through a divorce, they go and ask advice from their divorced friends. I know exactly what they're going to say. If you want to fight for your marriage, he who walks with the wise grows wise. Go and ask people who've been married 40, 50 years. How did you keep committed during the tough patches? A companion of fools suffers harm. Maybe your, your struggle is temptation. And you say, what are the lies behind temptation? You say, well, it's worth it when I'm giving up, when I'm gaining, when I'm losing. The lie is nothing bad's going to happen. Here's a verse, James 1.15. That's a replacement thought for you this week. And, and here's the thing to start meditating on and, and thinking about. When desire of this situation is fully conceived, it's going to give birth to death and, and, and sin. And sin's going to grow up and it's going to bring forth death. This is not meaningless. This is not harmless. This is actually going to produce death in my life. I talked to a guy a few weeks ago at a Saturday service. He said uh, he's got a friend, uh, a brother, who's struggles with alcoholism. He's like, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm not hurting anybody. And of course, it has hurt his family, his marriage. But he just the line he kept telling himself is temptation. I'm not hurting anyone. A replacement thought, this is bringing death into my life. Death into my marriage would have helped. But he called his, his friend, he says, he said, his brother, he said, Brother, I'm really concerned about you. I saw a picture of you recently and you're just not looking well. I'm really concerned about your health because if you die, it's going to break mom's heart. And his brother had just never thought of the impact of his decisions on his mom. And that became the catalyst because his lie was, I'm not hurting anybody. He began to say, I'm going to break mom's heart. I got it. For whatever reason, the wife didn't work and the kids didn't work. But breaking mom's heart became a new truth that began to have him move toward health. Here's a couple more. Maybe your issue is tragedy. Every time you come to tragedy, you think every time things are difficult, the thought is if God loves me, he wouldn't let this happen. Romans 8.28 might be the one you want to write down. We know all things work together for good to those who love God. I'm going to trust that he can work this together for good. Maybe it's lust. Well, I can't control what I think about. We learned this last week. No, we need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'll give you another one. Maybe authority and teachability. There's this lie that says, I don't need anyone telling me what to do. It started when you were a teenager and it's sort of grown through companies. And that thought, I don't need anyone telling me what to do, drives your behavior. And what if your new thought, your replacement thought was Proverbs 10.8. The wise in heart receive commands. They receive feedback. They're open to instruction. What if you began to set your mind on being teachable? But a pratting fool will fall. Self-esteem, either thinking yourself too highly than you ought or too lowly than you thought. Either I'm not important, no one cares. Psalms 139.14, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. What if every day, insisting I don't live up, I don't like my wrinkles, you begin to say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Or maybe if you struggle with pride, maybe your thought is, well, they're lucky to have me here at this company. They're lucky to have me here at this family. Romans 12.3 is a good one to write in your brain. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Set your mind on replacement thoughts. I'll give you one last one. Maybe appearance. 
Beauty. Insecurity from beauty is an issue for you. And the lie is to be acceptable, I must be beautiful. It's a great verse from Samuel. says, for God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Beautiful verse. Honesty. Lying can get me more of what I want out of life. Versus Proverbs 10.9. He who walks with integrity walks securely. Because he doesn't have secrets need to be found out. But he who perverts his ways, they will eventually become known. What's your mindset on today? Because the way to face those thoughts and behaviors is to replace those thoughts and behaviors and set your mind on things above and set your mind on truths that transform. Well, thank you for being with us today again. Face a thought and replace a thought. Write one of those verses, or if you don't, didn't write those down, Google. Whatever your issue is, Bible verses for fear. Find a verse to replace your thought and just try it for a week. What would it be like to come to a situation focused on that replacement thought? We want you to be more free. We're pursuing freedom ourselves as well. Next week, Keith Crutcher will be with us. He'll be joining me on stage. He is a neuroscientist specializing in Alzheimer's. He's going to describe the science behind how the brain works, how it can reprogram itself, what it means to actually take thoughts that seem rock solid from the past and turn them into a fluid aspects that can actually be transformed. So join us next week for Thought Bubbles Part 4. Thank you for being here. If you came prepared to give, there's some offering boxes on the way out. And if you're new to the church, we'd love to say hi. The third door on your left. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.